the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The big silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. Welcome back to the big silence. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. Oh. <laughs> I'm talking to everyone else here. <laughs> so have you ever been to therapy and then afterwards you're like, give me a freaking moment. Mm-hmm. I'm in my moment, but I'm here with you and you. Mm. I'm in my moment. We just got done doing a podcast with Terry Cole, psychotherapist to many people that you probably know of talking about boundaries, codependency, freaking everything. I cried and then my psychotherapist cried. How are your armpits? My armpits are sweaty. Yeah. (laughs) I was just sweating up a storm during that conversation, but I am I loved it. Mm. Terry, she has a book out now called Boundary Boss. I'll hold it up here if you're watching on the YouTube. The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. And I have learned, Bobby will agree with me, maybe, that boundary. Unless I feel I'm going to say no, (laughs) and I'm okay to say that. I feel that. Well, and that is one of the perfect things is learning how to say no. Mm. Yeah, we talk I'm, about that. I can't wait to read this book. I sincerely say that. Yeah. Terry seems like super, super cool lady. Long Island represent. So I, you know, <laughs> I feel her when she's talking. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great conversation. So I'm excited that you're all here for it. And then also Terry. So you know that we're going on tour starting May 1st, starting in LA and go to thebigsilence.com to sign up for the newsletter and stand in tune for all of the tour stops. But I did ask Terry if she would be open to coming on stage and doing a a group therapy session. And she seemed like that was a yes. And I, I believe Terry will tell you no, if she, <laughs> if she doesn't want to. 
That's so that right. Was a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. You put I mean, her on the spot, and you how know. fun would that be, Terry? I know we just got on, <laughs> we just got off the Zoom podcast, but that would be amazing to even have yeah. a few other community members sit with her and talk mm. about boundaries. I like it. All right, New York City. Here we come. All right, enjoy this podcast. Any last thoughts, Mr. Bobby Goldstein? I just can't wait to read Boundary Boss. I need it. Yeah. You just can't tell me no. I'm out of here. <laughs> All right, enjoy. <laughs> Well, Terry Cole, thank you. This is a topic. Well, number one, I was just talking to Terry and I was like, I haven't sat in front of a psychotherapist in two plus years. I look over here to my husband, Bobby, but it's been (laughs) at least that long. I've done a lot of therapy, but this is something huge. Boundaries. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And Terry has this book that came out last year and it's incredible. And so I really want to tackle this conversation of boundaries. But also, before we get into that, Terry, I want to hear like your story and how you got to where you are, because it's quite interesting. Why, thanks. <laughs> I would be happy to tell it. Yeah. You know, part of it is like what led me to write Boundary Boss was for sure my own experience of being a boundary disaster and not knowing that that was the source of my relationship conflicts, my feeling used and abused, my overgiving, my exhaustion, all of that. I really blamed other people. So, you know, what do they say? You teach what you most need to learn. And I think that's probably true where that was sort of my process of being raised like so many of us raised and praised to be a self-abandoning codependent. Mm-hmm. Like if you were raised as a woman, that's what you were raised mm-hmm. to be. The more self-sacrificing, the better. And being nice, right, is the virtue above all others. And so, you know, anyway, that caused a lot of problems in my life. And then I got into therapy when I was 19 yeah. <laughs> and just stayed. So that's many decades of therapy. Right. And you were an agent to many people. Uh, well-known models and celebrities. And then you stepped back to figure out because you saw that industry and how much help everyone needed. And I, I mean, I was never a supermodel, but I definitely, (laughs) it was like in that industry in my twenties and there was no one advocating for us. So you saw a need and then you went back to be able to help them. Yes. So I left this career. So part of it is I'm on my own personal journey, figuring out, wow, boundaries, never even heard of that thing. What is it? Right. So I'm doing my own thing in therapy while I'm building this career. Like, and I was super ambitious. So I was quickly just scaling that ladder in entertainment because like I was chasing a feeling. I was like, ah, this, if I'm running the place, then I'm definitely going to feel the way I want to feel. Or my next, if I represent Naomi Campbell, if I represent whoever, mm-hmm. or if I make this amount of money, I kept thinking, oh, then that's when I'm going to feel the way that I want to feel. And of course, I got to all those things. And then, yes, did not feel the way that I wanted to feel. But what I did feel was the transformation of my own life through the therapeutic process. And I was so stoked. And I could not believe 
that I could change my effing life by knowing myself, that it was like this, this epiphany that it's, I didn't just have to stick with the hand I was dealt, so to speak, that I could be like, well, this hand sucks. I want new cards or I want a whole new deck or I'm making up my own game, which is what ended up happening. And I couldn't believe everyone in the world didn't know that therapy was like the most amazing thing ever because I got into it when I was so young, stopped drinking when I was 21. In entertainment, the healthier I got, of course, the less good fit I was for the entertainment business where I could no longer deny that I didn't care at all about the Pantene deal or the movie contract that I was negotiating. But what I did care about was my client's mental health, getting people into eating disorder clinics and drug treatment and rehab. That was what I cared about. And I was like, you need to get out of this business before you start really sucking at your job because you're not interested in what you're supposed to be doing here. So long story longer, but I'll try to make it short. I actually just decided I would go back to school and I did not go to a good undergraduate school, FYI, no offense, Long Island University, but you know, oh, whatever. My husband's from Long Island. It, Is that a bad school? LIU. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, CW <laughs> Post. I was a cheerleader. That's the only reason I went there. I was like, how many sports can I cheer for? Oh, basketball and football. I'm in. Anyway. So, but then now I'm, I'm out of school for almost 10 years and I haven't done anything but be a talent agent basically. And I just decided I was going to go to school and become a psychotherapist. And I was going to apply to one grad school. I applied to NYU, which is like ridiculous at what made me think I was going to get in, but then I did get in. And then I was like, oh my God, now I have to go. Holy crap. You can't get in and I'll go. So I did an accelerated master's program there while I ran the agency from afar from wow. remotely on my phone. Wow. Aye, aye, aye. That's a big achievement. But also for those listening, you can do anything for you to be able to run the talent agency and then go to school and get your degree and then move on and help those that you recognized. And it was probably your gut feeling of you recognized that people needed help and no one was talking about it. Because how can I ask how many years ago? Many. I've been <laughs> a psychotherapist for 25 years. Okay. <laughs> so that was 25 years ago. Wow. How have you seen that industry change? The, the, the entertainment the, not or entertainment, psychotherapy? Sorry, just therapy in general. And mm -hmm. yeah, it just because I remember even 20 years ago when I mentioned I wanted to go to therapy, everyone was like, oh, are you crazy? And I'm like, oh, yeah. So how it has, has it changed? changed? I mean, Karina, it's changed so much because it is mainstream in a way that it absolutely wasn't 20 years ago, where there was still even living in New York for years, right? In New York City, where like everyone had a freaking therapist, but even there, you know, there were some people who didn't, and there was still a stigma. Exactly. People would say, I don't need to go to a therapist. And I used to always think, what the dumbest thing, like where people would be like, I don't need to go. I'm not crazy. I'm like, you know, not going to a therapist to help you figure out your emotional stuff, because we all have emotional stuff, mm -hmm. is like thinking that you should, you know, having a rotten tooth and being like, I should be strong enough to be able to rip it out of my skull myself. Like what makes people think that they have the same knowledge that I have going to school and you know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you. Anyway, so I've seen a, this younger generation is super therapy positive. Mm -hmm. And now we have all of these online and virtual experiences too, that have made it 
available to so many more people. It's a really good time yeah. <laughs> to be in therapy. That's all I'm saying. And I would say this is a really good time. Yeah. You need to be in therapy right now. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, okay. Boundaries. This is our topic for today. I want to know, because I'm going to read all this, because I didn't learn about boundaries until probably five, six years ago. And then setting those and the fear of setting those boundaries because of what someone else would say about me or treat me because I set my own boundaries. And I'm an advocate of just be a good person and saying no now. And I've actually, I was just in (laughs) Palm Springs with some of my friends last weekend. If you're listening, Matthew and Todd, I was teaching you how to say no. But um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I So let's talk about boundaries and the importance Mm -hmm. of them for our own mental health. Yes, we shall. So first, I'm going to establish, according to Terry Cole, what boundaries are. Mm -hmm. So I want you to think about boundaries as your own personal rules of engagement. It lets other people know what's okay with you and what's not okay with you. In order to do that, you must know your preferences, your limits, and your deal breakers, like your non-negotiables. And you must have the capability of communicating them because it's one thing to know it. And then it's a whole other ball of wax to be able to communicate a boundary request or to set a limit with someone or to say no, as you're saying. And so how would someone communicate that without, I don't know, I've had so many years of struggling with setting those boundaries between relationships with Mm -hmm. friends or my mother who was schizophrenic and I took care of her and I overstepped and I was just like, give, 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 give. But how can someone take that first step in setting a boundary and then also whoever they're setting that boundary with, if they come at them in a certain way, Mm -hmm. how to Mm -hmm. talk back, like communicate with them? So let's start with what you're describing, Karina, is being a high-functioning codependent, according to me. And there was a need. There was a need for you to do that, right? You were, it was an adaptive um, plan when you were a kid, not like you had a choice. And then that adaptive plan and that adaptive functioning becomes maladaptive in adulthood. Mm -hmm. And we're still overcompensating overgiving, overdoing, being exhausted, prioritizing other people above ourselves. And it just keeps going on. So it makes sense, right? Why, how we get to be sort of boundary disasters. There's always reasons. We were raised and praised, right? As we like to say, for being self-abandoning codependence. Fact, if you were raised as a woman, that is the truth about how you were raised. But that was then, and this is now, So the deep dive that we have to do within ourselves before, because I could give you all the scripts in the world. And in the book I do, there's a whole chapter that's just scripts. But if we don't understand why it's so painful or threatening or scary to establish that boundary, to say no to someone, the, the perfect and magic words, you won't be able to continue using them because it will kick up too much inside. So we always go in first and go, okay, what is your downloaded boundary blueprint, which means that you personally, me personally, your husband, Bobby, Victor, my husband, everybody, we all relate to boundaries in a very particular and specific way 
to us. So I want you to think of your downloaded boundary blueprint. It's like your country, your culture, your familial norms. We learn from how we're raised, like, oh, this is how relationships are. Oh, this is the right thing to do. Oh, this is how I should be at work. Oh, this is how I should be with money or whatever. We learn it even if they don't tell us because it's modeled behavior from the adults in our lives. And most of the time, this is also unconscious. We don't even know that there's a choice. So I want you to think of your downloaded boundary blueprint, kind of like an architectural blueprint for a house, Mm -hmm. but that someone else designed like a century ago. Mm -hmm. And it just gets handed down and handed down. And what we're doing with the journey of becoming a boundary boss is that we're going into the basement of your mind, which is your unconscious mind. Don't worry, I'm guiding you. I'm holding your hand. I have a little lamp on my head where we're looking for the information that you need to understand why you relate to boundaries the way that you do, because you've got good reasons to. And hey, just being raised as a woman is like pretty much guaranteed boundary disaster, right? Because we're just supposed to be nice, self-sacrificing. That's basically what the whole trip is. If you find yourself saying yes when you want to say no, or not being able to like set that limit, this is the action that you can take right now, which is for the next seven days, you're going to get committed to not giving anyone an instant answer. Mm. We're going to buy time by saying, oh, hey, I need to check with Bobby. I don't, I don't know what our schedule is, but I'll get back to you tomorrow or Thursday or whatever it is. If um, someone asks you to do something and you're not sure if you want to do it, you can say, if it's something that may, requires you to travel, you can say, I really need to think about it. Or I need to look at my finances. I'll get back to you. You don't owe anyone an instant answer ever, unless it involves minor children or like your house is on fire. Like you actually don't. And if you identify as a people pleaser, as someone who struggles with codependency, as a highly sensitive person, as an empath, we can feel this pressure to like, we don't want anyone waiting. We don't want anyone mad. We we want to make sure that we're doing, if they say, can you help? You just feel like you just have to say yes but you don't. And the reason why buying time is helpful is because it's a million times easier to come back and give an authentic no if you haven't already given a reactionary yes. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. And in the last few years, I have gotten better at saying, let me get back to you on that. And I think that's one of the most important things is let me get back (laughs) to you on it and then figure out what I truly want or Mm -hmm. what my time has space for. Yeah. What is your bandwidth, right? Yeah. Do you have space to do it is the question. Yeah. Because I've definitely overcommitted to a lot of things in the past and it just causes stress. And and then once you show up, you're not your 100% self and yeah. And then that causes- Oh, resentful. I love that word. So I just had Zach Williams on the podcast last week, and we had this conversation about resentment. And I know mm-hmm. in the book, you talk about resentment as well. And I, I brought up, I was like, well, my biggest thing for resentment is I am forgiving. And then 
mm-hmm. we had a conversation like, am I a forgiveness factory? Am I just forgiving too much? Like, <laughs> how do you, to, how would you suggest not holding resentment and how to move through that? It's setting the boundary. No. So okay. yes, but no. Oh, yes. So here's okay. the thing. What happens when you don't set boundaries is that you don't forget what happens when you feel when we don't set boundaries, we project it out. And instead of dealing with the fact that we could have said no, we're like, I can't, Betty is so effing entitled. Like, I can't believe Betty asked me to help her move again. I can't believe Betty. I can't believe them. Who raised them? Why are they like that? Why are they so selfish? Are they? Or are you just a boundary disaster? And you, Betty says, can you help me move? And you're like, hell no, I helped you last time. No way, man, I'm going away this weekend. But I wish you the best of luck. How about here's a number for man with a van or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> There's a way to protect yourself. And it's, as the subtitle of the book says, it's talking true. Mm-hmm. And, and when that is difficult, we do it a little bit at a time. So back to the resentment question and the forgiveness question. When we say yes, when we want to say no, besides blaming other people, we take that resentment and we put it in the resentment file cabinet. And we're like, you know, reason number 7,040, why Betty's an a-hole, like, or why she's entitled or why I can't stand her or why I resent her. This is an accumulated experience in this resentment file cabinet that is not doing SWAT to Betty, by the way, Mm -hmm. just you, only you are feeling it, only you are holding on to it and carrying it because it's heavy as hell. It's going through you and not touching the other person. So the forgiveness thing that you said, I'll tell you exactly what my gut said the moment you said it, (laughs) but I loved forgiveness factory. It made me laugh so hard. (laughs) Am I just a forgiveness factory? Oh, I, I don't know. Here's the thing about forgiveness. And then we'll go back to how to say no when you need to go back and say no after you've thought about it and you've not given the immediate answer, remember? Mm Because this is what you guys are doing for the next seven days. So forgiveness. I never talk about forgiveness, and I'm going to tell you why. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is so fraught Mm -hmm. with confusion, with religion, with all the things. Forget forgiveness. Just forget it. What we care about is letting ourselves out of resentment prison. You don't owe anyone your forgiveness. Maybe you want to at some point. Great. What I want you to do is be free from feeling resentment on a daily basis. So if that means in your mind, forgiving them. Because what is forgiveness? So much of the time people think forgiveness, if you actually do, that you're condoning someone's crappy behavior. It's just confusing as heck. I don't think we should use it at all. I feel like what we're really talking about, we're talking about mental wellness, is will I allow that behavior of that person, that interaction to take up free real estate, to squat in the precious real estate of my mind for a longer period of time? Or will I do whatever I need to do to get it out of there? And maybe you do need to talk to the person. Maybe you do need to have a confrontation. Maybe you need to write a letter that you send or that you never send. Maybe you, there's so many things that you could do, but keeping it in and being silent, that is how 
anger and shame grows, right? So we've got to do something with the resentment because I feel like forgiveness, people think it's like a button that you hit and you're like, I'm just like that. I don't, whatever. Well, I think I was trained to just forgive because it gets out of my brain then. Like, was this like an old generation of maybe my parents raising me and that was what they learned to do, but now we've changed. But you also probably need to, to do it though, Karina. Part of the thing is we are the way we are for so many completely legit reasons. Mm. So there's not, it's not just willy-nilly that maybe you identify as a forgiver. It made sense in your life. And it's not, it's not random that I struggled with confrontation, that I could never talk about anything uncomfortable because that's what I learned. This is what happens in an alcoholic family when nobody talks about anything. And you're like, oh, I guess that didn't happen last night because nobody, everyone's like, how do you want your eggs? So we all have our own, you know, as Dami Galvarez would say in the four agreements, we're all coming from our own nightmare, kind of, right? Our Mm -hmm. own frame. But the thing is getting empowered to live a life that you want to live means that you tend to your internal space. That is the sacred space, is what is happening within you daily. If I got a resent, if I got a resentment with someone, I'm going to first write that shit down. So what people can do, so you guys mm-hmm. listening, and then I promise I'll go back to the no, mm-hmm. is that if you take a resentment inventory right now, if you were like, huh, I'm holding resentment against this person, Betty from work, and my friend, and this person, maybe my spouse, this this will literally be the roadmap to where you probably need a boundary, right? Either a boundary is being crossed and it's probably a boundary you have not expressed so the person doesn't know it, or maybe you have. And maybe the person is a repeat offender mm-hmm. of the trampling of the boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone, every story is different. But what matters is that you understand and go, I want to put these resentments down. What do I need to do? Do I need to have the conversation and say to Betty, hey, I'd appreciate it if you stop eating my yogurt at work or whatever, whatever the thing is. And that isn't a stupid example because these are the things that make up, right? It's the the minutia of our daily lives is what makes up our life. It's not just the peak experiences. It's literally every single day. So when you have that resentment inventory, it is so much easier to go, That's interesting. I have six things on this and four of them are with my oldest sister. Maybe I need to really look at my dynamic with my oldest sister. So it'll give you, it's like a little GPS to give you a place to start. I'm going to let that soak in. Yeah. But then what if there's someone like your oldest, I'm just going out here, someone like your oldest sister not mm-hmm. and Rachel, I'm not talking about you. I'm just example. Yes. <laughs> but you have to have them in your life. So how mm-hmm. do you manage that relationship? Such a good question, but also very revealing, Karina. Very revealing that that your mind goes to drawing boundaries equates to like not having them in your life, kind of. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. How do we do it with family? Even when people are super duper difficult, is it just like cut anyone off who, I don't think so, but there is so much 
space in between the extremes of saying kind of nothing, which is at least, at least for me, when I started on my own boundary journey, my fear was that when I started establishing boundaries, I would lose people. Mm-hmm. I was afraid to lose my relationships. I was afraid to lose my position in my family of origin because I was the youngest, but I was really the designated oldest sister. I have three older sisters. And, you know, I was like the center of all the things. And if I was no longer a friggin' high-functioning codependent and bossing everyone around, would I still have their affection and whatever? There's so many things. And people tell me all the time from reading the book, I'm afraid of having the conversation. I'm afraid of my partner being mad, my sister being mad. I'm afraid that they'll no longer talk to me. I'm afraid of losing the relationship. But a lot of times we have an amplified fear because our inability to establish boundaries or to tell the truth about how we feel is such a childhood ingrained experience. So it's almost like we have a child's fear mm-hmm. of doing it, right? Because you're we're super capable women doing stuff in the world, like writing books, doing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why is it so threatening? And so part of this process of learning how to do it is we really do. And in the book, I talk quite a bit about, you know, child within stuff and understanding what happened in our childhood, really. Like the actual thing, not like the fake memory drawer, but like the actual Mm -hmm. messy memory drawer so that we can honor and understand ourselves. And it makes it so much easier to do it because I think that people think to draw boundaries, you have to be mean and rejecting. No, and I think people think that too. Like when you say no, they get angry. And we can go back Mm -hmm. to that saying no, where it's not from a place of anger or power or anything like that. It's just like, no, this is, I'm saying no. Right. And you don't need to write a dissertation. On why so much of the time we feel like, wow, but I need a good enough reason, right? I I need a good reason. And if they ask me, I have to provide a reason. My thought is that when you really get that it's your right, Mm -hmm. no one else can take care of you the way that you must. Your relationship with yourself, as it turns out, is the most important relationship you'll ever have in your life. And how you treat yourself sets the bar for every other relationship in your life. Mm -hmm. So if you say yes, when you want to say no, do everything for everyone, work yourself to death, do not rest when you're tired, are you last on your own list? You will inevitably attract other people who think you should keep doing that, who are like, yes, I agree with your low self-assessment, continue making my life easier and your life more difficult. So I always bring it back to how you relate to yourself and that someone else's desire for you to go see a friggin' James, whatever, a concert, let's say out, you know, people always invite me because I live in upstate New York, you know, let's go to Tanglewood and sit outside. And I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Listen, I don't care who it is. I don't want bugs, sun. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. People talking. I want to just hear the music. Like, so being able to say no, if someone invites me, Part of the going back and saying no is being able to say, oh, hey, I hope you guys have an amazing time, but that's really not my thing. Why don't you and I have lunch next Wednesday? I would love to see you, though. Mm -hmm. 
I is my friend going to take it personally that I don't want to see James Taylor? And if they do, that's not your problem. <laughs> correct. You know whose side of the street that is? Not mine. Yeah. That is theirs. And what I don't have to suffer through doing a bunch of crap I don't want to do, and neither do you, and neither does anyone listening. If we choose to do things for those we love, if my friend said, you know what, this is really important to me. I know you don't love it, but can you please come? I would say yes. Yeah. If it's a friend I love and she really wanted me to do it for whatever her freaking reason was, I would probably say yes. Yeah. If she was like, I really need you in this moment right now. Like, I always give in to that. Like, I really need you. I'm like, okay, I'm here for you. Yes, but, but here's the thing. Are we attracting the the needy folks? Mm-hmm. So I feel like we, we're going to move this to, I, I want to finish the no thing. Okay. <laughs> and then we got to move this to codependency because <laughs> okay. it is so the next natural place to go. Yeah. So when you come back to say no to the person, let's say it's a person that you like, you've thought about it, remember, because for seven days, you're not giving anyone an immediate answer. You're giving them a, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Then you come back and let's say you want to say no to, or you can't do it. First of all, if you really can't do it, it's then it's not as hard to say no. Hey, I looked at our schedule. We actually have a, another thing on that day. We can't do it. I hope you guys have an amazing time next time. There, there's nothing wrong with that. If you really just don't want to do something, you can definitely come back and be unavailable, but you can also say, you know what? I actually, I remembered, I, I'm not doing anything on Sundays. I'm, I'm reserving Sundays for my family. So I hope you guys have a great time. I'll send a gift, but I'm actually not going to be able to make the shower. Mm-hmm. You know, what? people, if they get mad, everyone's going to live. <laughs> we're, we're, we're literally all going to be okay. Nobody's spontaneously bursting into flames. People always ask me, how can I establish boundaries without conflict? with nobody getting mad mm-hmm. with people. And I'm like, hi, that's not magic. I'm not that much magic. Like it's not your side of the street though. What you can do, you can always establish boundaries with kindness. Mm-hmm. If you want to with love, right? If it's appropriate with a little more heat, mm-hmm. if that is needed in the situation. So a lot of times, if it's someone I really love that I need to say no to, I always start it with something positive and say, I so appreciate you thinking about me and always inviting me to these things. And I'm sad to say that on Wednesday night, I actually can't do it because I have a big presentation on Thursday, but I will be with you in spirit and let's make a plan soon. That's if I love you, I want you to know, I'm not just like watching reruns of SVU, like, and I'm providing context, not convincing you that I have a right to say no, but for if I want you to understand me better, I will provide more context because I don't want my friend to think I'm just being a crappy friend. Yeah. I want her to know. But when it's someone who is entitled, let's say Betty, mm-hmm. I don't feel compelled to give her a friggin' reason. Yeah. And if and you don't have to, you can just say we're unavailable, but I hope you guys have a great time. And if someone says, What are you doing? Say, Why are you interviewing me for like? <laughs> I use humor all the time, you know, to sort of come back and you can do that. Or you can say my, my partner has something we need to do with his office or whatever. Like we don't owe it though, especially to people who are not in our VIP section, Mm -hmm. right? Lower priority folks. We really don't. 
VIP, we might want to share because we want them to understand us, right? And I and I want them to know why I'm saying what I'm saying. That makes sense? Yeah, it does. 100%. And I feel like I'm like 50, no, I'm 60% there to learning how to set boundaries. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's a big step. It literally is because you just mm-hmm. you take everything so personally or others reactions and um yeah and so i want to go you mentioned codependency Mm -hmm. shall we talk about that oh we shall because (laughs) this concept is so near and dear to my heart Mm -hmm. because i'm such a recovering codependent Mm -hmm. and that i spent so many years not knowing what codependency was like everybody and thinking that it meant like what everybody thinks i must be involved with an addict i'm enabling someone dependent that means i'm dependent on them so i would say to my my crew right my therapy practice for all these years has been like super capable women in particular like the ceos like the pop stars of the world like the people who are literally doing the thing and if i said hey what you're describing this dynamic there's a codependent element to it they would be like, no, you're nuts. Hello. I'm, you have no idea. Like everyone depends on me. I'm not dependent on anyone. Mm-hmm. What's your question? You were going to say something. Oh, yeah. I was just saying like, I, if you can define codependency in a few sentences too, cause I mean, I'm the same way. I'm like, I am so independent, but maybe I'm not. Uh-huh. Right. Because here's the thing. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm just going to describe it according to Terry Cole. Codependency is being overly invested in the feeling states, the decisions, the outcomes, and the circumstances of the people in your life to the detriment of your own internal peace, your own physical, financial, spiritual well-being. So let's make the distinction. Listen, we're all lovers. We love our people. Of course, we're going to be invested in their happiness. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being overly invested. So think about it this way. If your best friend calls you and it's like, oh my God, I'm in a situation. It is really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, <laughs> when they're like, I need you, it's like, I need help. Are you, first of all, how quickly does that situation become your own? And if you're not sure, you're listening, you're watching, I want you to check your urgency right? Your friend is having this thing. Are you urgently like typing into Google and texting your friend who's a doctor and making all the connections for the person to fix the thing? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. If you are, that's codependency. Now, when I created a new name, because my people didn't identify, they didn't see themselves in codependency, because they're all thinking Melody Beatty, codependent no more, back in the day, you got to be involved with an addict. So I changed the name for my people to high-functioning codependency, Mm -hmm. because my crew and me, so capable. So we make it look easy. So people don't look at you, at least at me, right? When I was doing this and not knowing, they have no idea how painful (laughs) being that invested in that many people and feeling like you have to fix the friggin' world 
what that actually does to your bandwidth, to your physical well-being, because we make it look easy. So that is high-functioning codependency. <laughs> I'd like to raise my hand. <laughs> yeah. And if you're just listening, I just raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone at home, if you feel like it's you, raise your hand. <laughs> so how do we heal from that? Yes. Well, inherent in high-functioning codependency are disordered boundaries, mm-hmm. right? Because that having healthy boundaries and being a codependent, those that shit is mutually exclusive. There's no way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't do it. So how do you do it? Is A, identify. Is that you? I'm going to tell you a quick story. Mm-hmm how I learned this. And this was like in my, this was not like, you know, it wasn't like 15 when I learned this, this was when I was in my late twenties, early thirties. When I learned this, one of my sisters was in a bad situation and had a rough go always kind of with bad people. So abusive relationship, you know, using addicted, all the things. And, you know, she would be telling me about this and I would be losing my mind trying to fix it throwing money at it. just And I remember I was talking to my therapist and I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I was literally like bawling my eyes out. It was, it was just so distressing that she would stay in that situation. And she was always calling me and telling me about the situation. And my therapist is like, what do you mean? And I was like, what am I going to do? And she's like, Terry, let me ask you something. What makes you think, you know, what lessons your sister needs to learn in this lifetime? Well, I think we could both agree she doesn't need to learn it with this idiot living in a house without running water. Like, can we agree to that? And she was like, no, I have no idea how your sister needs to learn what she needs to learn. Do you know what's really going on for you, though? (laughs) I was like, obviously not. (laughs) So feel free to clue me in. And she said, you worked really hard to create a pretty harmonious life. And your sister... And the dumpster fire that her life is right now is really messing with your peace and it's creating pain. So yes, you love your sister and you don't want her to be in this situation, but what you really want is your pain to stop. And I was like, oh my God. And here I was thinking I was Mother Teresa. No, Mm -hmm. that is so true. So then I was like, well, what do I do? Like, what is the next step? And she said, listen, you can draw a boundary. You can step back. You can tell your sister, hey, this is really painful. And if you ever want to get out, I'm still your person. But if not, I cannot talk to you all the time with you telling me all the abusive crap this guy is doing. I did that. Nine months later, my sister called. Hello. (laughs) Is the offer still open? I was like, I'm in my car picking you up. But what happened is My sister got in recovery. She went back to school. Like she got it together, but not because I centered myself Mm -hmm. as the solution to the problem of her life because she centered herself. She did it. I didn't do it. It wasn't mine to do. And the relief that I felt when my therapist was like, Terry, it's an impossible task. Like what what you're thinking you can do is not even humanly possible. And I felt like off the hook, like I thought I was being a bad sister if I didn't do all the things that I was doing. And I realized it was just codependency and that, yes, it was hard to step back, but I did because who, what, why did I think I knew what everyone in the world should be doing? You know, 
Yeah, I, I, from that story, I think of my mother, who I was not a good enough daughter. And unless I kept doing more, doing more, saving her, being there mm-hmm. for her. But she, you know, at the end of her life, you know, my husband and I took care of her until she passed last September. But I always felt like I was never enough and not doing mm-hmm. enough and instead of her making the change for herself. Right. And you are so much more than enough. And you did so much more than most people would do. So you should be proud of what you did do. Like if she was not well or couldn't or couldn't acknowledge that, that doesn't change yeah. what is real. Like you did that. How loving of you and Bobby to do that, to take her into your home. I'm cr- literally crying right now. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I, I cry <laughs> I'm sorry. every episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it's moving. Yeah. It's moving. And the little girl in you is so bummed that there's this sense of like, I could have and I should have done more. You did everything. So get, throw her a parade, take her out to dinner, the little kid inside, buy her something fun, <laughs> and acknowledge yourself. Because that is exhausting. And being parentified is the friggin' worst. Ooh. It's the worst. You don't even get a childhood yeah. when you're parentified, meaning you had parent, you know, if people don't know what it yeah. is, if you had, you know, adult responsibilities when you were not an adult. So you got to do fun things for that little kid inside of you so that she feels like even though she kind of got totally ripped off of a childhood, there's fun to be had now. Yeah, it was. And I'll just I'll say this. Just I told my mom on her last day. I, it's like, mom, I know you feel like you were never there for me, but I'm so proud of the woman I've become because of how you weren't there. And I say, like, because she was just speaking of regret, regret, regret. And I said, no. Let's leave this this universe and this life with praise. So beautiful. I have chills right now. I don't Painful. think I can talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We're both crying right now. <laughs> um, well, Terry, I know you're going to offer the community something really fun. And I might be calling you for my own therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> conversation with the pal anytime <laughs> everyone get this book it's so important life changing once you set boundaries i'm telling you and it's a forever process too yes it is sister you know it you can get boundary boss anywhere fine books are sold but i have all of my bonuses still even though they tell you you should like only give them for whatever period of time i'm like no i made them i'm giving them forever so you can go to boundarybossbook.com and get all the bonuses still and even if you bought the book a while ago you could just put in your receipt number if you haven't just put in anything we'll go to you. moving into i think the thing that would be most helpful for your audience from this conversation is boundaries and codependency mm-hmm. It's a video, it's a downloadable guide, which will help you, you'll fill in like your personal stuff and it'll help you go, huh, yeah, like I'm, I am the codependent or, or perhaps you're not, but it's really helpful to know where you are because it gives us a place to start. So you're going to get that at boundaryboss.me 
forward slash big silence. Yeah. And we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. So you can click right on there. Excellent. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited when you come to New York on your book tour. Yes. Maybe please. we can even have a conversation on stage. Please let's do it. <laughs> yes. Right. I come to the city all the time. Yeah. So get in touch because I'm so excited for you to come to New York and your big ass bus. So <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love. The type of love that will defeat anxiety. The type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The Big Silence.